I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Weekly Web Foot Review. We're excited about the Vegas Bowl, baby. The podcast that keeps you fresh with the latest happenings in the world of Oregon Ducks athletics. Oregon remains an extremely powerful national brand. Freddie and Luke and all the guys going back. Aaron, they've all had a big, big part of this. Now, here's your host. Our guys have done well in our approach, which is win the day. Jordan Schultz. Yeah, that's right. Welcome in to episode three of the weekly web foot review third episode ever of the best podcast around about the oregon ducks from sb nation and addicted to quack.com that's right this podcast talking about the best and worst of oregon athletics mostly football and basketball talk about other sports if anything big happens but really just here to talk about a lot of the recent happenings in the nfl draft today another basketball transfer leaving the University of Oregon. We'll get into all of that here in just a second. Of course, like us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, as we get into this slightly warmer part of the year, you look outside, the sun's out, it's 70 degrees out, no rain, even this part of the country this time of year. That's a surprise. So I'm happy that we're looking at some decent weather despite not having any great football to watch right now. That will change here in a couple of months, though, but just getting into that dead part of the year as far as football and basketball go. Still, though, a lot happening in Eugene and beyond. So coming up on today's show, I'll tell you who else wants to transfer away from the Oregon basketball program. That's right. They're going to lose another player, and I'm not sure how big of a deal this loss is for Dana Altman, but... I've got a lot to say about this kid leaving, so we'll get into that. Also, the NFL draft took place over the weekend in Nashville, Tennessee, a celebration for the ages and the most successful draft ever, according to the NFL. But that's another conversation for another podcast. They say that it will never be indoors again. And it looked like a fun party going on in Nashville made me. This is the first time that I've watched the draft on TV I actually wanted to be there. So good for the NFL. But like I said, that's a whole nother convo for another podcast. What we care about is where our favorite Oregon Ducks players were drafted and when. So we'll break all that down, which Ducks got picked and talk about how they can affect their new teams going into the 2019 NFL season. Early, and I mean early, early college football championship odds have been released by bookmakers in Las Vegas And I'll tell you why you need to sprint to the closest sports book you can find and put some cash down on your duckies. And of course, our weekly feature this week in Ducks history is super in-depth again for the second week in a row. We've already gone through every duck taken in the first round of the NFL draft. Now it's time to recognize Oregon alum not taken in the first round. So for this week in Ducks history, I'll give you the top five NFL players, in my opinion, that were drafted later than the first round coming out of Oregon. So lots to get to today, but we'll start it off 
right where we've been talking a lot about at the start of our podcasts lately, and that is the men's basketball team and all the changes surrounding them right now. So, another transfer. This time it's big man Miles Norris deciding to enter the transfer portal. He joins Victor Bailey, who I still don't think should have left Oregon in that portal. Now, basically what this means is they do have the option to come back to Oregon, but now that the, both of these guys are in the transfer portal, their scholarships are not guaranteed for next season. So Dana Altman has the ability to go out and grab somebody that he thinks could replace Norris or could grow into something that could help get them to the final four. And with all the other questions going on with this roster right now, I just don't understand why you would leave. Questions need answers, right? Well, with all that extra time, are you telling me that after Victor Bailey growing through last season, wouldn't have gotten more minutes after being asked by Dana Altman to redshirt earlier in the year, Miles Norris sat out the first eight games because he planned to do so. And then all of a sudden got to play grew throughout the year. Why wouldn't you come back? There's minutes available for you. I just don't get that. So, so miles Norris asked to redshirt earlier in the year, but after that, he talked to Dana Altman, his parents and him did. And knowing that his minutes may be limited throughout the season, he decided to play anyway. Some good moments in that limited action early. His minutes actually did increase as the season progressed. And Norris played in 27 games total for the Ducks this season. Actually posted a career high 14 points in 24 minutes in the Pac-12 tournament. That was against Washington State. Overall averaged about three points, two rebounds and just 10 and a half minutes per game through the season. So Miles Norris playing more than 10 minutes a game in 13 games from January through March, and that was almost 20 total games. Other than that performance against Washington State, though, 14 points in 24 minutes, didn't really play much in the Pac-12 in the NCAA tournament. Minutes were cut, playing seven against Utah in the Pac-12 quarterfinals, 10 against Arizona State in the semis, and five against Washington in the championship game. And in the NCAA tournament, barely played at all and didn't even play in the Sweet 16 game against Virginia. So so let me get this straight. Just because Dana Altman doesn't think he's ready for prime time this year anyways, next year is up in the air still, he decides to transfer. That just seems like you're giving up from my point of view. It is so frustrating to watch two kids now, two, give up an opportunity at such a great program for just a few more minutes a game. The facilities in Eugene, Dana Altman and his coaching staff make it one of the top basketball destinations in the country, especially with their recent success. UCLA is having an off time right now. The fact that Oregon isn't getting those players to stick around for longer, I, I guess I should have some questions about what I should be worried about. It is the culture at Oregon, is that okay? What's going on? Or... Is it really like I'm thinking it is just these two younger guys that want to prove themselves and in their minds haven't really gotten the chance from Dana Altman to do it yet? I am so frustrated watching that. If Miles wants to go play 29 minutes a game at a school like Portland State, so be it, I guess. 
it's his loss. And Dana Altman will rebound and find other talented recruits that are going to buy in to what he's selling. They already got the transfer, Eric Williams Jr., but Norris remains in the portal. So does Victor Bailey. At this point, Oregon's returning roster will only include junior Peyton Pritchard if he comes back, sophomore Kenny Wooten if he comes back, and freshman Francis Socorro and Will Richardson. Four guys. And obviously Peyton Pritchard and sophomore Kenny Wooten are taking part in some NBA pre-draft festivities right now, actually getting a look. Multiple Ducks receiving invites to the NBA Combine. That's actually coming up May 14th through 19th in Chicago. Obviously, Bull Bull, Lewis King offered and accepting invitations. And it looks like Peyton Pritchard actually wasn't invited to participate in the NBA Combine. He is going to the G League Elite Camp. That's in Chicago, May 12th through 14th. And looking like that that's going to give guys like Peyton Pritchard who aren't as sure about their draft status a chance to see where they're at. And I got to believe Peyton Pritchard isn't trying to leave Oregon to go play in the G League. I, I think that the last year with Dana Altman growth, the possibility of going farther in the NCAA tournament, that's that would speak to me, but I'm not Peyton Pritchard. He's got an important decision to make. And I think that it's good for him to go and at least test the waters and see what his competition is at that next level. But come back. Peyton's season at Oregon next year is important for this program, period. They need a guy like Peyton Pritchard. He was their leader. He's their heart and soul. And Dana Altman can make it work if he's got something to build around. But if Peyton's gone, I am a little worried about next year. So let's see what happens. This Oregon Ducks men's basketball roster situation is going to be evolving and changing. So definitely going to have some updates here in a couple of weeks as to where guys are going. But for now, still questions every week. And with the now departing Miles Norris, more questions for Oregon Ducks basketball fans. All right, place your bets. We're going to take a look at the futures odds just released by a big sports book in Vegas. What do you think Oregon's early chances are to win a national championship? I'll give you the answer and tell you why you should be placing a bet next on episode three of the weekly Webfoot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the weekly web foot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. All right, super early, but always so fun to talk about what the Oregon Ducks football team's chances are at getting to the college football playoffs. That's right. One of the major sports books in Las Vegas updating their 2019 championship odds. And guess what? The Oregon Ducks are right in the hunt. Check this out. Wetskate Sportsbook updating their futures odds. And Oregon for the chance at the college football championship 
Org is tied with the 11th highest odds to win it all. Oddsmakers saying that Oregon has a 40 to 1 chance of winning the college football championship. It's not bad. On top of that, ESPN recently predicting that the Ducks have the 8th highest chance to make the four-team playoff. They're in the conversation right now, Ducks fans. Heck, they're early favorites to win the Pac-12 as well. Other early favorites to win the college football championship are Clemson, 2 to 1 so far right now, Alabama at 5 to 2, Ohio State at looks like 9 to 1. Also, Washington slipped in there, made it with 30 to 1 odds, so they're on the list as well. Also, all the way at the bottom, Auburn, 60 to 1. Of course, that is Oregon's first opponent on August 31st to open up this coming season. So a big game there, two teams clashing that obviously this game going to, I would definitely say come into the conversation later in the season. If the ducks are near the top, trying to vie for the college football playoff. And if they don't beat Auburn, I would bet the house I don't own. They don't get into the college football playoff, but 40 to one odds. I'd say that's a pretty good shot to go throw 50, hundred bucks down and hopefully be able to pay for a nice vacation if the Ducks do win at all. I mean, if you need more convincing, then let me let me lay out some facts for you. Here is why I think Oregon has a great chance to make our dreams come true this year as Duck fans, all right? 40 to 1 odds to win the college football championship. I think they can do it. They've got the talent. They've got so many guys coming back. Justin Herbert passing on this year's NFL draft, well, that put the Ducks right back at the top of the Pac-12 coming into 2019. Oregon was number two in the Pac-12 in scoring, and that, yes, that did include that pretty bad offensive performance in the Red Box Bowl when they beat Michigan State. Now, the Ducks did allow 25 points per game, but that was a 16-point improvement from 2016. Remember how bad that defense was? And they started six sophomores on D last year. Does concern me a little bit. Jim Levitt leaving, trying to hand the reins off to Andy Avalos, but they are so talented on the defensive side for Oregon. And with so many young guys coming back that started as sophomores, that's just where you want to be. It's the sweet spot as a college football team and as a fan of your favorite college football team, when you got guys that have been around, like on the defense, you got Javon Holland coming back after he led the team in interceptions last year. You've got the entire, I mean, entire offensive line coming back for Oregon. Four of the five guys that are seniors on that offensive line. All that experience counts for something. And it's not like that they laid down last year. Nine wins is a pretty good season in the midst of a Pac-12 conference that kind of just ate itself up last year. Really cannibalized itself with the teams just beating down on each other. And Washington was the only one that could come out on top. But Oregon has the returning talent to be that team this year. And on the defensive end, if you add all those returning starters with Kayvon Thibodeau, that kid from California, the number one overall prospect in the 2019 ESPN 300. The sky's the limit for the Ducks. They have a great legitimate shot at definitely getting to the college football playoff and actually winning it. Early on, Oregon looks like the Pac-12's best team on paper. 
They do have a difficult schedule coming up, though. Actually, one of the most difficult schedules in FBS. The Ducks opened the season, as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, against Auburn. That is in Arlington, Texas, so that's what you call a neutral site game. But I would venture a guess to say that more Auburn fans are going to travel than Duck fans just because of the location. It's a lot closer to Auburn. And after that, they play Pac-12 road games at Stanford, at Washington, at USC, and Arizona State as well. Though, on the other side of the coin, after they take that trip down to Texas for the neutral site game against Auburn, those four road games out of a schedule of 12 total games make your overall season a bit less chaotic. They have to fly out five times all year. They get that extra week plus the bye week to hang around Eugene. I'd say that giving those guys a bit of extra rest, a bit of extra time to hang around their environment, that's important to college football players when you're that age. It's not like these guys are men yet. They're easily distractible. So I really think it's an advantage that Oregon gets to stay in Eugene a majority of the year. With all those guys returning, it's a recipe for success. That could play into the Ducks' favor this season. It really could. All right, we're going to transition out of current Ducks football to talk about former Ducks and where they went in last week's NFL draft. Ducky's going all over the place, and pretty much this was weird in the opposite order that they were projected. Let's start breaking down the craziness of the 2019 NFL draft. So six total Oregon Ducks football players ending up on NFL teams, but four going in the draft. We'll start with Ugo Amadi, of course. He went in the fourth round, if you hadn't heard, 132nd overall to the Seattle Seahawks. Ugo Amadi, the strong, versatile defensive player, he gets to stay in the Pacific Northwest and went a lot higher than he was projected. Looking originally at maybe a sixth round possibility, well, Seattle really liked Ugo's athleticism and took him a lot higher. He's fast. He's versatile. He won the Lombardi Award last year, so that's not me saying it. That's actually an award given to college football's most versatile player. And the Seahawks telling Amadi that they plan on using him as a safety, a nickel, special teams, returning punts as well. And that is going to be a huge pickup for Seattle. He's so athletic, and he can change a game like that. Amadi was actually one of the First FBS players with two interception return touchdowns and a punt return touchdown in the same season since Alabama's Micah Fitzpatrick back in 2015. So that hadn't happened in like three years and Ugo did it. That sixth sense for the football that he has doesn't really hurt either. Instinctive, knows how to get a good play on those deep passes and the first duck taken in the 2019 draft. But like I said, projected to go much later, possibly the sixth round. So great job for Ugo Amadi. Good luck to him. It's going to be fun watching him play for Seattle and getting to stay in the Pacific Northwest. Hopefully that makes his transition into the NFL a little bit easier. All right, next up in the fifth round was linebacker Justin Hollins going 156th overall to the Denver Broncos. Quoting GM John Elway from a tweet, Justin is, this is a quote, a big and athletic linebacker who can play inside and outside. His athleticism will also help us on special teams, end quote. So looking like John Elway wants to use Justin Hollins in different positions on the field, that MVP performance in the East-West Shrine game 
really opened a lot of eyes for GMs around the league and really guaranteed his spot in the draft as opposed to just catching on as an undrafted free agent. So good job by Justin Hollins to raise his stock leading up to the NFL draft this year. And at the combine, he did so even more. One of the fastest edge players this year, and actually in the past few years, if you look at his numbers, and he can play multiple spots on defense, inside or outside linebacker. And he's on special teams making tackles as well. So going to be a nice fifth round pickup for Denver. Sounds like that they're looking at him already to take a roster spot and play all around, you know, maybe second team defense to start starting on special teams his rookie year. We'll really see how Justin Hollins, who is such a quick and athletic kid, will do for Denver. And it probably helps that he's going and joining last year's Duck draft pick Royce Freeman on the Denver Broncos. When you got a former teammate going in, always makes your transition a little easier as well. Ducks fans had to wait until the seventh round to see their next player taken off the board. And this was one that a lot of people projected to go quite a bit higher in the draft. Dylan Mitchell, seventh round, 239th overall pick by the Minnesota Vikings. So he told the reporters in Minnesota that he chose to enter the draft early after consulting with his father, agent Jimmy Sexton and Mario Cristobal. Supposed to be a fifth or sixth round pick, but I, I don't know why, whatever reason, he dropped down to the seventh round. Also, check this out. He is just the second Ducks wide receiver drafted in the last 10 years. Josh Huff, who was taken in the third round by the Eagles back in 2014, is the other one. And to me, that really speaks to the level of wide receivers at Oregon and just the weaker group of guys that they've had in the past. After Dylan Mitchell established himself as Justin Herbert's go-to guy last season, got a little confident, but finding out that maybe that doesn't automatically translate to being a number one guy everywhere. I'm sure Jimmy Sexton told him that he could continue his development as a player, even if he did leave for the NFL. But I think he would have gone higher if he stayed for his senior season. I think it was a mistake for him to go out this quickly and leave so little time to just get to the NFL and try and grow as a player because they're not necessarily looking at a seventh round guy as someone that they think could grow. They're looking at a seventh round guy as someone that could surprise them, come in, grab a roster spot and affect their team in a way that they didn't plan on. But once again, guaranteed absolutely nothing. I do wish Dylan the best of luck though, trying to win a spot on that roster or any roster in the NFL. They're going to miss him though. Even with Jawan Johnson coming in to play with Justin Herbert, Dylan Mitchell back for his senior season. Oh, what could have been at the University of Oregon. But he goes once again, seventh round, 239th pick overall to the Minnesota Vikings. And the last NFL draftee that came out of the University of Oregon, two picks later, Jalen Jelks, taken with the 241st overall pick by the Dallas Cowboys. That's right, America's team. And Jelks was actually projected to go a lot higher in the third or fourth round by quite a few prognosticators. So kind of literally flipped the script for Oregon Ducks football players in the order that people thought that they would go. I mean, even Cowboys head coach Jason Garrett said that Jalen Jelks was graded very high on their draft board. And after he dropped so far, it was a no brainer to scoop him up. He's a fast defensive lineman. His massive wingspan, while being less bulky, though, 
kind of scared a couple of teams away and made them question where he would fit in. But you heard Mel Kuyper Jr. from ESPN saying it repeatedly leading up to the draft that he thought Chelks would be the first Oregon player drafted this year. And I fell for it. He's so athletic and he can affect a game so quickly. I still believe in Jalen's ability to translate well to the next level. And I really hope that Jason Garrett loving on him so much that forces them to give him a real shot in Dallas. And if not there, somewhere else, he's talented enough to be a great NFL defensive lineman. There were two more Oregon Ducks in the draft. Didn't get picked by any teams, but were picked up as undrafted free agents. First, Tony Brooks James signing with the Atlanta Falcons. Now, a little bit of an odd case Tony Brooks James is, losing his starting job to C.J. Verdell after a couple of games in last season. He was senior year at Oregon, rushing for 306 yards and four touchdowns. That obviously because he... Really got taken out of the main running back position after C.J. Verdell started to perform on a really consistent level. He also caught a couple of passes, uh, really where Brooks James affected Oregon and where he's probably going to be affecting the Atlanta Falcons is on special teams. He returned 21 kickoffs for 548 yards last year. And in his four-year career with Oregon, Tony Brooks James actually ended up rushing for about 1,800 yards and 18 touchdowns. So those numbers, not that great. Traditionally, Oregon's running backs just so good all the time and just putting up crazy, stupid numbers. So ending up as a special teams specialist, a guy that can return the ball in the NFL, I mean, a lot of guys more talented than Tony Brooks James have ended up there in the NFL. So I think that's a great spot for him. I mean, like I said, he came in as the starter at the beginning of last season, and I do think that he has the talent to be a backup running back in the NFL and definitely the talent to play on special teams. So I would be shocked if Tony Brooks James isn't returning kickoffs for the Atlanta Falcons to start the regular season in 2019. Good luck to TBJ. And last but certainly not least, a guy that joined the Ducks more recently, Cano Dillon, undrafted free agent signing with the Washington Redskins. Dylan, he played just one season with the Ducks in six games, eight passes for 110 yards and two touchdowns. So got to see a little bit of Cano before his time at Oregon. He redshirted and then played three seasons at South Florida. Actually played with Willie Taggart and Charlie Strong. So the Redskins taking a flyer on a big kid who can catch the ball in the open field as well as block a bit. So we'll see how much of a shot he's actually got at getting on the Redskins roster or maybe a practice squad in 2019. Good luck to Keno Dillon as well. All right, stick around. We're going to have some fun with this week in Ducks history coming up. Who are the top five players from Oregon not drafted in the first round? I've gathered a list of the best Ducks that were taken in the second round or later. That's right. The top five Ducks that were taken in the second round or later, and we'll break it down next on the weekly Webfoot review from SB Nation and AddictedToQuack.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
This is episode three of the weekly Webfoot Review. Jordan Schultz sitting in with you, and we're getting into the last part of our show, the best part of our show every week, always this week in Ducks history. And since we went over all the Ducks taken in the first round of the NFL draft last week, there's 17 guys ever taken in the NFL draft from the University of Oregon. I thought it would be fun this week to give you my list of the top five Ducks of all time that did not go in the first round. So any rounds, second and later, undrafted, this is a list for those guys. And I'll tell you what, there are some great players on this list from the past and present Ducks glory. All right, so we'll start off with the handful, actually just three honorable mentions really quick. First one is LeGarrette Blunt. A JUCO transfer running back to Oregon, but had some trouble following team rules and suspended for a bit. Of course, who can forget when he punched Byron Hout from Boise State in the face after the Ducks lost their opener to Boise State back in 2009. Despite his trouble at Oregon, he actually was able to turn it around and got a shot with the Tennessee Titans as an undrafted free agent and really just turned that into a stellar career. Three-time Super Bowl champion, two with the Patriots, one with the Eagles, rushing for over 6,300 yards and 56 touchdowns in the NFL so far. His 11 rushing touchdowns in the playoffs, this is a big one, are tied for sixth most in NFL history. LeGarrette Blunt has been one of the most impactful running backs at the perfect time in NFL history. Crazy, right? Still hasn't signed with anyone for 2019, though. So LeGarrette Blunt. Despite all his issues while he was at the University of Oregon, has really turned into quite the valuable running back in the NFL. Next honorable mention is Anthony Newman. That is right, defensive back, a stud safety that went in the second round to the LA Rams back in 1998, spending 11 years with the Rams, Saints, and finally the Oakland Raiders. He went to Beaverton High School and had the opportunity to play Major League Baseball at a high school, but decided to continue football and go take a scholarship at the U of O for that. Back to the NFL, he had 21 interceptions and over 500 solo tackles. The guy was just always ready to play, rarely getting injured, if at all, over those 11 years in the league. He was a starter for almost eight of those and now enjoying his life, still throwing various camps around the area and doing various media coverage for Ducks football. It's always fun talking with Q and I'll do my best to get him on the podcast during this summer. All it takes is a text message. Got his number in my phone. So we'll see if Q wants to come on the weekly web foot review and talk Ducks football leading up to their opener against Auburn. I, I definitely would enjoy a conversation with Q. All right. Last of my honorable mentions, but certainly not least Gary Zimmerman, offensive lineman, and I put him in the honorable mentions part of this list mainly because he actually was drafted into the United States Football League by the Los Angeles Express, played and protected Steve Young for the couple of years that that team was in existence. But then the USFL folded and a supplemental draft for guys in that league took place, actually also guys from the CFL but the point is that Gary Zimmerman after two seasons getting drafted into the USFL had his rights drafted by the New York Giants then traded to the Minnesota Vikings so Gary Zimmerman really famous for refusing to interact with the sports media during his career 
This stemmed from an incident that happened early on when he was in Minnesota. He actually broke that unwritten rule and called some teammates out to the media after a game, which they reportedly ostracized him for. And from there, he never wanted to interact with the media again. Personally, I think this is ridiculous. I, If you've got something to say about somebody and you feel like it needs to be said publicly, say it. And if that guy or those teammates don't like it, play better. Gary Zimmerman doesn't seem like the type of guy that would just run his mouth off to anybody that wanted to listen, namely the media. Maybe I could be wrong, but if you don't want to get crap from your teammates, just play better. That's as simple as it gets. I mean, you hear coaches calling out their players sometimes in media interviews. You hear teammates calling out other teammates sometimes in media interviews. I'm only 30, so back then, if we're talking in the late 80s, maybe it was still super taboo to talk about your players at all in any other way than a positive light to the media. And that sent Gary Zimmerman down the path of not wanting to ever interact with sports media. So he boycotted it. So once again, I think this is ridiculous. But what's even more ridiculous is that he got his younger teammates on the offensive line to join him in boycotting the media while in Denver. And I actually remember that I was watching a game. I couldn't have been more than nine or 10 at the time, but this was just as football and the NFL and namely ABC at the time were starting to include a lot more graphics in their packages, airing NFL games and Monday night football started doing those player intros. Like, you know, announcing your position, Marcus Mariota, quarterback, University of Oregon type of deal for an example there. And the lineman for the Denver Broncos just had pictures. Every other guy on the team was there live or, or had the tape of them reading their own name off and saying what position and what college they're from. But the guys that wanted to boycott the sports media on the offensive line didn't. Now, my smarter brain comes into play 20 years later, having some experience working behind the scenes with sports teams, the, the guys that are taking the pictures and videos and whatnot, the sports media aren't the ones doing that. So are you telling me that Gary Zimmerman and teammates boycotted even having something where they're talking to a camera? That's not, that's not sports media. There are obligations for marketing that you have to fulfill. So I don't like that Gary Anderson just boycotted the sports media from suffering crap from his teammates from the 80s that made him turn a group of other young guys in the late 90s into guys that wanted to ignore the sports media too. That's just stupid. And I remember Gary Zimmerman, maybe because I'm a little bit younger, I remember Gary Zimmerman more for that than his great play on the field. Though he won a Super Bowl with the Broncos, seven-time Pro Bowler, a member of the NFL 80s and 90s All-Decades teams and elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2008. He retired right after he won that Super Bowl with Denver, so he went out on top. I just, I've always wondered, why would you do that? Why would you keep yourself from being able to promote who you are, what you're doing? You know what? Some guys just don't care. Obviously, Gary Zimmerman didn't care, or maybe that incident with his teammates really turned him off, and he just didn't trust anyone anymore. That might be the route that I would go. Acting like that, I just wouldn't trust anyone. I wouldn't want to talk to my teammates or the sports media at that point. 
All right, finished up with honorable mentions. Let's get to the actual top five list of Oregon Ducks that did not get drafted in the first round. Number five, tight end Ed Dixon. Ed actually started his career at Oregon on defense, played 13 games at defensive end in 2006, but ended up at tight end the next season behind Dante Rosario on the depth chart. He actually ended up as one of the best tight ends in college football by the time he graduated. Taken third round, 74th overall by the Baltimore Ravens in the 2010 draft. Now with the Seattle Seahawks after a stop in Carolina. He's got over 2,100 receiving yards to his name as well as 15 touchdowns. Signed with Seattle through 2021 right now. And I imagine he'll continue to be a steady presence at tight end who can be that extra weapon on offense and that hidden weapon that defenses forget about for Russell Wilson. Excited to see Ed Dixon and what he'll do for the Seattle Seahawks the next couple of years. The number four player from the University of Oregon not taken in the first round of the NFL draft is Patrick Chung. That's right, Patrick Chung, one of my favorite players in Oregon history, actually holds the record for most games started by any duck on defense, starting in 51 straight games when he played at Oregon. The Patriots took him in the second round back in 2009. He's won three Super Bowls with the Eagles in the past, just like the Garrett Blunt, including the most recent Super Bowl that they won against the Rams back in February. He's got almost 730 tackles in the NFL and 11 interceptions. Just been a consistent player that shows up and works hard and produces week after week. Never been the star, so to speak, but he hasn't had many injuries and remains one of the NFL's top safeties since coming into the league. He's just a guy you can count on. He's currently signed with the Patriots through 2021, and if he's smart and stays healthy, he'll be playing for a few years in the NFL beyond that. Number three on this list, top Oregon Ducks football players that were not drafted in the first round. Number three is Kiko Alonso. Everybody remember him. Kiko is another player who was able to grow as a person after some off-the-field issues. Actually got a DUI and then arrested for burglary at his time at Oregon, although that incident, not necessarily sure if it was a burglary. There was alcohol involved in that arrest as well, and later reports came out that said that Kiko Alonso thought that he was breaking in to his own house. He got arrested for burglary because he broke a window and was threatening the woman that lived there. And I'm assuming if he's drunk and confused, that's probably what happened. So Kiko Alonso had some issues with alcohol in his younger days, but worked his way back after Chip Kelly reinstated him, gave him a third chance for Oregon. That's, that's right. A lot of people wanted him gone, but Chip Kelly thought that his play on the field was more important and he made the second team all Pac-12 back in 2012 after being reinstated. So he made an impact, showed his talent, and then got drafted in the second round by the Buffalo Bills in the 2013 draft. Quickly worked his way up to being a starting linebacker after that in the NFL and won Defensive Rookie of the Year. At 28, he's got over 550 tackles, 10 interceptions as well. It's just been a pretty solid career for Kiko Alonso, just like Patrick Chung. And he's got the chance to rack up some big numbers in the NFL if he can keep playing as good as he has. So good for Kiko Alonso, able to turn his life around and have a great career in the NFL so far, making about $6 million a year from the Miami Dolphins right now. 
Number two on this list, the top five Oregon Ducks that have not been drafted in the first round. Number two is one of the NFL's all-time greats, Mel Renfro. One of the NFL's best players in the 60s and 70s, Renfro is the only player on this list that holds the distinction of playing both offense and defense in the NFL. So he started both at quarterback and running back when he was at Jefferson High School, played quarterback after Terry Baker left for OSU, then playing for the Ducks as a running back and defensive back. Rushed for over 1,500 yards and 23 touchdowns as a college running back, but he was also competing in track. He was only the second ever two-sport All-American in history. That's right. This guy, Mel Renfro, he is known for so much, and he did it all in Eugene at the University of Oregon before getting drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. They drafted him in the second round of the 1964 draft, and Coach Tom Landry had an idea that he really thought that Renfro would be better on the defensive side of the ball full-time, despite uh, a lot of guys don't remember this at that point in time in football. You really just put your best athletes on offense, and <laughs> that's kind of where the term comes from, that a guy that can't catch usually goes to play defensive back. You just you put your best athletes and your most skilled guys wherever they are on the offensive side of the football at that time. But despite that, Tom Landry wanted to play Mel Renfro at his defensive position, defensive back. Turned around, though, a couple of years later, actually tried to start him at running back during the 1966 season, suffered an injury, though, and right after he became healthy, went back to playing on the defensive side. And he was pretty good at it, too, making 10 Pro Bowls and helping the Cowboys win two Super Bowls. He was at one time the best athlete in the NFL until he retired in 1977. Mel still holds the all-time interceptions record for the Cowboys with 52 and kickoff return average, and his 14 seasons tie him for second place in franchise history. What a long, illustrious career for the Dallas Cowboys that Mel Renfro had. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1996, currently a motivational speaker. And now, the number one Oregon Duck football player not taken in the first round, quarterback Dan Fouts. All right, Fouts was somewhat of an unknown when he accepted a scholarship from the University of Oregon, and things quite different after his career. He really turned some heads, opened some eyes. He set 19 school records back when it was called the Pac-8 and he was all Pac-8 when he played at the University of Oregon. He set a record for career passing yardage, total offense at the time, inducted into the University of Oregon Hall of Fame in 1992, drafted in the third round by the San Diego Chargers in 1973 of the NFL draft, now, of course, the L.A. Chargers, passed for just over 43,000 yards and 254 touchdowns during his 14-year career, went to six Pro Bowls, Won the MVP back in 1982, but unfortunately never won a Super Bowl. And Dan Fouts actually known as one of the toughest quarterbacks of all time. Known for staying in the pocket and taking a lot of hits on deep passes that guys would traditionally either just not make or try to run out of the pocket for. No, Dan Fouts stood his ground. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1993 Worked for CBS and ABC as an analyst and play-by-play -play announcer at different times. Currently with CBS right now, as far as I know, too. 
still living locally in Sisters, Oregon. And you cannot forget his appearance in The Waterboy with Brent Musburger. Shut up, Brent. Just calling that game the Bourbon Bowl. Gosh, I love that movie. Got to go back and watch that. So Dan Fouts, a career spanning decades in football, a Hall of Fame career as a player, and a great announcer. One of the guys that I love to sit down and listen to. He's still one of my favorite voices on the radio doing stuff for CBS and Westwood One at CBS on TV. Westwood One on the radio. That's the list, Duck fans. That is this segment of This Week in Ducks History. Your top five Ducks draftees taken after the first round. Ed Dixon, Patrick Chung, Kiko Alonzo, Mel Renfro, and Dan Fouts. And that's it for episode three of the weekly Webfoot Review. Lots of cool stuff coming up on the podcast in the coming weeks. We're going to go around the Pac-12 during the summer, so you'll be ready for the start of the 2019 football season and of course keep you up to date with the latest happenings around Oregon athletics thanks for listening to this episode of the weekly web foot review I'll talk to you next week sports fans Jordan Schultz sitting in with you once again go Ducks the weekly web foot review